Yep, so Psalm 69, which is on page 583 of the Church Bibles. That's page 583, Psalm 69. So a couple of things you'll notice. Firstly, not is it only written just to fit in nicely between Psalm 68 and Psalm 70. It starts with the notes for the director of music to the tune of Lilies of David. I don't know the tune of Lilies, so I'm not going to sing this, which I'm sure will be a blessing to all of you. <laughs> So Psalm 69, the director of music to the tune of lilies of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God, my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I'm forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favour, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire, do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was, for, there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. 
for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, thanks, Brian. Well, we're going to um, hear uh, a sermon uh, from Tim Chapman now, um, who is the minister at uh, Christchurch South Cams. Um, he's uh, an Amy minister. He's uh, one of the partner churches that we have. So we're in partnership with Christchurch South Cams and with Christchurch Botley in Oxford. Um, and it's great uh, to, to hear him. Uh, we, we, in partnering with uh, Cambridge South Cams, we... Um, preach for one another, uh, we, we give to one another, we, we seek to pray for one another. So um, over to Tom, who's going to uh, start the video for us. Good morning, thanks for having me. Delighted to be preaching for you. We're in Psalm 69 and uh, I hope you've heard it read. I'm going to pray for us. Save me, O God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the experience in this psalm. Thank you that it resonates with the human condition. May all of us learn what you have to teach us. May we see Jesus Christ and we ask it for your name's sake. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now if trouble has not yet come your way, know that it will. It has done since the beginning. Life in a fallen world is full of trouble and Psalm 69 paints a remarkably clear picture of what trouble looks like. Right at the start the psalmist prays a very brief heartfelt prayer. Save me O God. If ever you don't know what to pray then this is a Bible sanctioned first prayer. It's short, you don't have to come up with long-winded prayers. It's full of dependence on God, which is the only wise stance to ever be praying from anyway. And it has a New Testament echo in the tax collector's prayer outside the temple that Jesus commended. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me, O God. Here's the psalm that every one of us will need to pray if we're human. Some will have been praying it for a long time already. Some will face circumstances just over the horizon that'll drive you to your knees and others may be shielded from the all too common experience described in it for a few more months or even years but in time what the psalmist is going through will in part be your experience and we need arming for that. So when will we need to pray save me O God? When you're deeply hurt, when you're hated for no reason, when you're mocked for your faith when you're deeply alone and when you're crying out for justice. You're going to be hurt, hated, mocked, alone and longing for a fairer world. That is the normal human experience and God wants you arms for those times. Let me go through them briefly. First, you will be deeply hurt, verse 2 and 3. I sink into the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters where the floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Most of us have a healthy respect for deep water. 
We learn to swim early and we wear life jackets, but the near drowning experience is still something most of us can at least imagine, especially if you've ever been ducked underwater and have struggled for breath. David, our psalmist, allows us to feel the awfulness of losing your footing, uh, being swept out of the shallows into the deeper water, being in a riptide perhaps and helpless against its pull, of feeling your strength ebbing and your body temperature dropping and the prospect of death being very close. We might feel like we're drowning when the hurts just keep on coming. They come at us like waves, the betrayal of a friend or a partner, the health struggle that isn't going away, the money problems mounting up, and no prospect of a quick rescue just over the horizon. All we can pray is, save me, O God, for I feel like I'm drowning. You will be deeply hurt. You will be hated for no reason, verses 4 to 12. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. There's little worse than finding out that you've been ganged up on, attacked and even publicly maligned for no reason. And But by the time you find out what's happened, there's nothing you can do about it. The damage has been done. Someone's got it into their mind to cause you hurt by spreading a rumour or implying an ill motive. And you find your job offer withdrawn. Interactions with previously friendly neighbours are now hostile. And there's an atmosphere of suspicion. What you want is to set the record straight, to refute their unfair allegations, to be seen to be innocent. But people will always think there's no smoke without fire. Though sometimes there is. So sometimes there isn't. Your only appeal is to the God who knows, verse 5. You, God, know my folly and my guilt is not hidden from you. And there's comfort in that. The psalmist is well aware that because God knows where there is genuine folly and guilt in him, he also knows every false accusation. He's not persuaded by the slander. He sees sin, yes, but he sees injustice just as clearly. Then verse 6 and 7. It's a right concern, if you're a child of God, to care about both those who hope in God, Christians, and about those who are seeking God looking in from the outside. When you're deeply hurt or unfairly hated, part of the agony is the effect of your suffering on other people. Will they look at it and say, but I thought they believed in God and yet this is happening to them. Or if that's the way Christians get treated, then I'm having none of that. You can hear the right and very normal inclinations of the psalmist's heart in verse 6. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. That's his concern for believers. And then, God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. That's seekers. So is that your heartbeat when you're hurt or hated? God's reputation and the prospect for other believers and seekers? I fear my thoughts turn inward to my reputation and my prospects before they turn to others. You'll be hated for no reason. Third, you'll be mocked and the object of scorn, verse 7 to 12. For I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. There's something really unpleasant about being mocked, scorned. There's no defence against shaming words. And verse 8, it's doubly painful when that scorn or shame is aimed at you from your own family members. Perhaps you've taken a clear stand 
Christian stand on sex being for marriage and you are faced with the shake of the head and a wry grin and the turn up of the lips. That's to start with. And then it's the jibe and the put down. And then it's the thing said behind your back about you. At work, maybe it's the cohort of colleagues who've made up their minds about you and there's a settled contempt that you feel from them in any conversation. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, verse 10, people make sport of me. Down the pub, they mock you. In fact, I'm the song of drunkards. You can imagine it, can't you? Trying to shield your children from the four-letter words, the offensive graffiti, the chat in the playground, it always gets back. You will be mocked and the object of scorn. Verse 9 is a tantalising clue to where the psalm might take us. Where have you heard, zeal for your house consumes me, before? John chapter 2, verse 17. It's on the lips of Jesus' disciples when they saw him indignantly overturning the money changers' tables at the temple. They were remembering Psalm 69, verse 9, and seeing Jesus foreshadowed there. And then the second half of verse 9. The insults of those who insult you fall on me. You might have bells ringing over that one too. Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 15, verse 3, urging them to live godly lives, whatever the impression that would make on outsiders, cites the verse in Psalm 69 as well. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. As people have their backs turned to the Father, it is the Son who bore the brunt of their cruel and unfair words. Back in Psalm 69, it's King David, God's anointed king, saying those who have their backs turned to God, turn their insults on him. It will be the ordinary experience of the Christian seeking to live a godly life, who will feel the sharp edges of insult and scorn and shame happen to them, heaped on them, sorry, by those who have their backs turned to God. Look on to verse 19 and see what scorn and shame is doing to David. You know how I am scorned and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. It's all he can do at that point to cry out, save me, O God. So have that one stored away for ready for use when scorn and mockery come your way on account of your faith. Because they will, if they haven't already. Hurt, hated for no reason, mocked, and you will feel utterly alone. Verse 20. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. So the person reeling from an unfair accusation or news of a slanderous word spread about them just wants someone to be with them, to make them a meal, to sit them down and give them a cup of tea, perhaps. But there isn't anyone. There's no one who understands, no one close enough to properly share what you're going through. And the sense of isolation hurts as much as the unfair accusation. Hurt, hated, mocked, alone. That's the picture being painted of what it is to be human in a fallen world. Those are the experiences we can all expect to face to some degree or another. And they're described so well in Psalm 69. Um, Surely that might be a help in itself. Here is someone describing my experience. Here is what I'm going through, and it's in Scripture. I'm not the only one. No, actually, if you're hurt or hated or mocked or alone, you are ordinary. 
Well, what then? What should we do? Go to the character of God. <clears throat> Verse 13 to 18, show the hurt, hated, mocked and lonely person going to the character of God and then praying it in. Strikingly, Verse 13 is a rebuke to the way we might normally pray. Listen carefully. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favour. It's that second phrase, in the time of your favour. In your own time, Lord. When you see fit to answer. How different that is to our understandable but impatient and self-centred prayers. I want relief now, Lord. Please do something immediately. The psalmist shows his trust in God's sovereignty by framing at least the opening line of his prayer in this way. In the time of your favour, Lord, answer me. And then it's on to God's character. Verse 13. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. And then verse 14, 15. He's still drowning, sinking into the pit. And he tells God again, verse 16. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. So it's God's great love, his sure salvation, the goodness of his love and his great mercy that is where the psalmist goes. I know your character is loving and merciful and it's on those grounds I appeal to you. To rescue me from the mire, to deliver me from the haters, verse 14. Don't let me go under, verse 15. Turn to me. Don't hide your face from me. Verse 17, answer me quickly. Verse 17, come near and rescue me. So when you are hurt, hated, mocked or alone, your first prayer, prayer might be, God save me. And in your second breath, you might remember God's character. It's hard to pray when you're drowning, but it's not impossible, especially if you've practised. So are there Bible stories that you know and that can be called to mind? What have you read in scripture recently that you can remember and pray? The psalmist calls to mind God's goodness, his love and his mercy. Turn those into prayers. Perhaps you can remember a story. He is a rescuing God. Daniel in the lion's den. The people being rescued out of Egypt. The disciples in a boat in a storm. Lord, you're able to rescue people. You have done so in the past. Please rescue me. You have compassion on those who don't deserve it. Lord, show your compassion to me. I think what the psalmist is doing in the hard verses of verse 22 to 28, I'm sure they sprung out at you as it was being read, is to call to mind the justice of God and to pray to him longing for a fair world. Now we read these verses and we find them difficult. Please will you give my enemies what they deserve? Let your fierce anger overtake them. Let them be blotted out. We want to ask, where is the Jesus-like prayer? Bless those who persecute you, he taught. So how are we to interpret verses like this in the Psalms? May we even pray them? Let me say two things very briefly. Um, Derek Kidner, in his introduction to the Psalms, has a six-page summary, which is brilliant on these kinds of verses. Firstly, they are a prayer. This isn't a personal vendetta. It's a prayer to God. And secondly, what's motivating the psalmist isn't vengeance, but a longing for God's justice. 
We ignore the conviction that there is um, a moral universe and there is a just God at our peril. He must, must, must do right. Unpunished wickedness tears apart our moral fabric. And the psalmist is putting that conviction into words. If God does not punish sin, then there's no meaning left in the world. Chaos and desolation will reign supreme. All order in the world depends on the certainty that all who persist to rebel against God will face his justice. That's the motivation behind verses 21 to 28, a longing for the justice of God to be vindicated. I started by saying, in this world you'll have trouble, and I said that this psalm encapsulates the kind of trouble we will face, being hurt, hated, mocked and alone, longing for justice. But no matter how hard things are, or how hard things might be now, this isn't our whole story, is it? There are white squares on a black chessboard. It's not all black. There have been moments of joy and hope and friendship and love. But there is one human being who has plumbed the depths of this psalm in full. So don't just remember God's character. As you read this psalm, see Jesus. He was hurt and hated. They've seen my works and hated both me and my father, Jesus said. Jesus was hated by Herod from birth, by the Pharisees and the Herodians in Mark 3, who plotted how they might do away with him, by Judas betraying him, and in John 7, even his own brothers did not believe in him. He was mocked and utterly alone at his crucifixion. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spat at him. He had friends, but... At his arrest, his disciples fled. Even Peter stayed back. And it was a loneliness that was utterly undeserved. When he said, I thirst, they offered him wine vinegar on a sponge. Verse 21 is being filled full, isn't it? They put poison in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And in Romans 11, Paul quotes verse 22 to 23 of those who rejected Jesus. These words are a prediction of what will happen to them, a warning. And then towards the end of the psalm, while these verses don't get the same kind of direct quotes in the New Testament that others do, surely it is in Jesus' resurrection that the fulfilment of these jubilant verses come. That's where wrath and mercy meet. Jesus' death and resurrection are where justice is complete. The joyful thanks and praise directed towards God and the calling on people to join in with him in praise and thanksgiving are right there. I will praise God's name in song. I will glorify him with thanksgiving. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. So then, what are we to think if Psalm 69 is a portrait that encapsulates true humanity, humanness, and we see that most clearly portrayed in Jesus hanging on a cross. That's where the horrifying concentrate of suffering and pain most clearly comes into focus. Where does that leave us? Well, three brief words of application. One, be very grateful. I read the Gospels and see Jesus and also read this psalm. 
and see his suffering. It gives us an insight into what it was like for Jesus as they hammered those nails in. Fill your hearts and minds then with him. Read this psalm often. Take in that he did that. He felt those things. He suffered as he did. He went even further than the Psalm 69 goes. He even prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus did that for you. So be very grateful. Secondly, be encouraged at Jesus' sympathy. The writer of Hebrews says that in every respect he was tested, as we are, and yet without sin. Does the trouble in the psalm resonate with you right now? Are you hurting, hated, mocked, lonely and longing for justice? Well, Jesus has been there and he's been deeper into those things than we will ever be called to go. He understands and he sympathises. Be encouraged. And lastly, have a realistic expectation of this life. What you expect affects how you respond in circumstances. When you're feeling this is awful about something, if you've been warned that it would be, well then you can press on. Be warned that you will have trouble in this life. And when it comes, press on. Beware of falling off the way to the left into shallow optimism or into the right uh, into blank despair. Shallow optimism, well, it's all for the best. Just grin and bear it. That's not what this psalm is doing. And blank despair isn't either. There's nothing to live for. Just give up. You might as well tap out. That isn't what this psalm is doing either. No, this psalm faces human suffering and points us to the one who drank the dregs of it and was raised. Suffering points to glory. That's the pattern. Do you remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus talking to the disciples? He met them and he pointed them in their despair to the promise that the Messiah had to suffer and then enter his glory. So do enjoy to the full the good times you may be given in this life. See them as an anticipation of heaven, the glory that we are to enjoy. But the bad times, the harder times, the suffering times, they're the norm. They oughtn't to surprise us. They're the pattern of the master, and therefore we as his disciples must expect them. Suffering now, glory later. Maybe hard to believe, especially in the miry depths and being engulfed by threatening waters, but that is the challenge that we are being presented with of Christian discipleship. So press on. Go to the character of God. See Jesus. Let me pray for us after a moment of quiet. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favour, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. We praise you, Lord God, for sending the Lord Jesus to drink the dregs of being hurt and hated and mocked and alone and facing injustice. We thank you that he 
felt that for us and was then raised and that in doing so he points the way that we might expect to follow. Please give us confidence in the face of hurt and hatred and mocking and injustice and loneliness to know that Jesus went there first and he went for our sake and he rose. May we look forward with great expectation to glory later. Give us confidence in the meantime, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.